Oh, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you guys all here. Um, <clears throat> glad to see you all healthy, but also that uh, hopefully at this point we're two weeks past, almost two weeks past uh, when the derecho hit. So hopefully you guys are have your houses all cleaned up from that. We're still seeing some of the effects from that. I was driving on, we live on Benton, and there's still lots of tree branches and stuff on Benton Street. So there's still some cleanup to be done. Um, but yeah, so 2020 just keeps rolling. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, today we're actually going to talk about the storm that Joseph had to endure, um, and we're going to start in Genesis chapter 40. So you can go ahead and turn there, but uh, in the meantime, <clears throat> so guys, this passage is five chapters and contains over 200 verses. Um, so I'm going to give you guys a flyover view of it uh, and tie in some of the context of the last two weeks instead, so you're welcome for that. Um, <laughs> figured you guys didn't want the Ezra style, where we all stand up and hear the entire letter of the law in one sitting. So, um, <clears throat> again, you're welcome for that. Um, while you guys are turning there, I want to keep um, this phrase in mind as we're going through the story of Joseph, and it's that God doesn't always promise deliverance, but he always delivers on his promises. So keep that in mind as we dig into chapter 40 here. So a little background on Joseph at, up to this point. Um, I always thought Joseph was um, this, his favorite little brother that always got whatever he wanted, um, from his daddy, and, uh, God also himself wasn't, um, he didn't hold anything back from Joseph either, so he gave him the prophecy and, and whatnot, and he wasn't shy about rubbing that in his brother's noses, or it seems that way, <laughs> um, so he's, he's got these, these ten older brothers, and, uh, it, it made the brother's actions earlier in Genesis a little bit easier to understand for me by thinking of him as this whiny little kid. Um, but that's really not the whole story of Joseph, and that's not who he really is. Um, there's a pastor named uh, Brad Lomanick, and I brought a list from, from him, and here's how he describes Joseph's eight key uh, leadership qualities. He's principled, he's humble, he's disciplined, he's faithful, he shows grace, he's competent, he's wise, and he's strategic. And again, I didn't come up with those, so I, I borrowed those from him. But I have to agree with his description based on um, what I see throughout his story. Three things became very clear um, as I studied the story of Joseph, and they'll help us guide us through um, as we navigate these, these five chapters together. So three things to keep in mind. Um, Joseph experienced privilege. He experienced injustice. And he is currently awaiting deliverance. So... Best way I could think to show this is through a timeline. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it up here. And you can draw it if you want. If it was me, I'd just be taking pictures with my, my phone because I'm lazy like that. Um, <clears throat> but I'm just going to walk you guys through this. So all the way back in chapter 37, um, we see that uh, Joseph is Israel's favorite. And we see that because Jacob gives him this dream coat, right? This technicolor dream coat. And you can keep flipping through these, Tyson, as they pop up. So the first one is that he's Israel's favorite. Um, and he gets this dream coat from, from Jacob, and he's obviously the one son of these that, that Jacob loves the most. And even beyond that, like I said, God gives him all this blessing. God gives him prophecy. And we see in that chapter 37 that he uh, gets this two dreams, actually. And you know from God when you get two uh, similar dreams that it's, it's from God. That's his way of putting his stamp of approval on it. So he gets two separate dreams that his family is going to bow down to him at some point in time. And so God gives him that prophecy. 
Now, you'll see these squiggly lines here. That is to just kind of bookend the storm that he's about to go through, right? <laughs> so we know already from past servants um, what's about to happen. So he has all of this, this privilege, right? The stuff that his brothers don't get, he gets. Um, and then <clears throat> it happens that his brothers just get tired of it, and the brother's betrayal comes into, into place. So they abandon him in a pit um, to die, and then Reuben can, and talks them into saying, well, let's not leave him in a pit to die. That would be terrible. Let's just sell him into slavery instead. Um, <laughs> so they, they sell him into slavery, um, and he ends up uh, in the house of Potiphar in Egypt. And at that point, last week, we learned that uh, Potiphar's wife tried to make it look like he had um, assaulted her. And for his integrity, he was thrown in jail. He tried to escape that as much as he could to the point where she even tore his, his robe as he was headed out the door. So his brothers take his robe and they tear it up and put animal blood on it to convince Jacob that uh, he's been killed by a wild beast, right? So there's one time where his robe has just been destroyed and then he gets his robe teared or torn again um, from Potiphar's wife as he's trying to escape and be a man of integrity. And so you see, this is just the beginning of the storm that he's in, right? And as, as I was preparing this, I just, <coughs> this was when the derecho was hitting was when I was starting to look into this. And so the derecho was obviously on the mind. Um, so we were actually in the office. I'll show a video. Um, we were in the office when it hit. Uh, so we're just over here in the portable. And of course, in the Iowa way, Matt and I stick our head out the front door to look at the storm. Um, and I even took video, obviously. Um, so we were just looking out, and this wasn't even the worst of it, right? So this is, that's a giant branch that was down right in front of church. Um, but again, this wasn't the worst of it. Um, thankfully, Kate and the girls were at home, and if it had been the next day, they would have had, they would have been caught up in the storm on their way down to Adele the next day. Um, <clears throat> and John Sidler was out driving too. Luckily, he was in Wisconsin, so, uh, he didn't get blown away like the rest of the truckers that were on the road. Um, the winds got up to... Uh, 112 miles per hour in Midway, and I was talking to Steve Benzema. They had 110 in Marshalltown, so it was just nuts here, just in Iowa. Um, it tore the roof off of Des Moines Buccaneer Arena, where we used to go and watch hockey. Um, it also tore the roof off of a middle school in Tama with people inside it, so there's teachers and students in session, and the roof just gets ripped off of it. And that day when we lost power, we drove down to Adele, and any small farm that had any kind of tree cover, all those trees around the property were just ripped up from the roots. These ancient trees that have been there for who knows how long, they were ripped up from the roots. <clears throat> and we saw, there's a picture here, we, we saw an entire storefront of an antique shop in Woodward just completely ripped off. I don't know if you guys can see that, it's kind of blown up. Um, this actually got posted on the Washington Post because it was just so terrible thing, because like it ripped off the whole front and then strewn it all the way down their main street. Um, I believe it was in Woodward that we drove through, but yeah, we saw that in person, and then I saw it on Washington Post later, um, and then a friend of mine also posted a snap on Snapchat showing, uh, showing a semi that had actually exploded, so let's show that one, so that's a little bit further off, and then as they got closer, you can see just how bad it got, um, so some of these semis were just exploding depending on what they had, uh, what they were hauling at the time. And I didn't realize this until later on, that the storm reached all the way to Chicago with 75-mile-per-hour winds. So you can see this giant storm is just looming over the entire city of Chicago. 
Um, and having, <laughs> I've, I've run the marathon there. I know how huge Chicago is. So to think of myself on that, like a little speck underneath this huge storm front of this derecho that went all the way to Illinois, to Chicago, we were completely blindsided by this. Like, we, we heard the sirens, right? But in typical Iowa fashion, we're like, look it up, Google it. I did. Oh, it's just a thunderstorm, you know. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Uh, at least it's not a tornado. Um, but we were completely blindsided by it. We completely took for granted the privilege and stability that we've been enjoying daily. If the storm was a reminder of anything, it was just that we are extremely small and not at all in control, but that God is completely sovereign and completely in control. So guys, this is where we find Joseph, right in the middle of the timeline, right? So right in the middle of the worst storm of his life in chapter 40, and believe it or not, it does get worse. <laughs> um, so we're going to start in chapter 40, and I'm just going to, again, just hop around as much as I can to, to spare you guys. But so <clears throat> the gist of it is that he's in prison right now, right? And he's got uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer, and he's also got the chief baker in prison with him. And they both have dreams at the same time, and they, they tell him about the dream. Um, and so God gives Joseph the interpretation for these two guys while he's in this storm, while he's in prison. Um, and he says, in three days, Pharaoh, he's talking to the cupbearer, he says, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And the baker gets jealous. He's like, ooh, I want to find out what's going on with me. And so he looks at the baker and says, in three days, Pharaoh will lift, your, lift up your head from you. <laughs> Uh, and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh. So not as good of an interpretation, um, but still given from God. Um, and I got to thinking about this. So these guys are sitting in a jail cell, and he says, in three days, these things will happen. So he's got to sit there for three days and look this guy in the face, and he said, oh, yeah, you're, you're going to die in three days. And then not only that, but the, the cupbearer as well. He's like, I'm getting out of here. You guys are probably stuck in here. You're going to die. Um, <laughs> so it's just this super awkward moment for three whole days in a dungeon um, and that's <laughs> just something that came to mind. I'm like, I don't know if I could have got through that. But three days later, exactly that happens. So the chief cupbearer is returned to his office, and the, the baker is, is hung. But it says that the cupbearer forgot Joseph, because Joseph asked him, tell, tell Pharaoh about me. I need to get out of here. And the cupbearer completely forgets about him. So and we find out, I'll skip ahead real quick to 41 verse 1. It says, after two whole years. So he didn't just forget about him for a little bit. He forgot about him for two years. He doesn't know how long two years is, sitting in a room doing nothing. It's a long time. So this is the season that Joseph finds himself in, right in the thick of this storm. And you've got to start thinking from his perspective of like, okay, God, you gave me this prophecy so, so long ago. It seemed like this was my way out. What comes next? Like, you start doubting God's goodness. You start doubting the fact that he cares about you, that you're sitting in this jail cell completely alone, and you don't have any sense of how long you're going to be there, right? So these, these unmet expectations come to mind, and when I think of unmet expectations— <laughs> So Kate and I are huge Office fans, right? 
Um, who's, who watches The Office? Is it just me? No. Okay, good. It's about half of us. So this will, this will land well for about half of us. Um, so there is an episode of The Office that is, by and large, known as the episode that you skip because it is so painfully awkward to watch. It's just completely unwatchable, and it's called Scott's Tots. Um, and if you know anything about the series, you know where this is headed. Um, but Michael Scott is the regional sales manager, or regional manager of this mid-sized paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And he promises these kids in third grade that he'll pay for all of their tuition. <laughs> and obviously that is not a promise that he's going to be able to keep. He's a regional sales manager at a mid-range paper company in Scranton, and he hasn't asked for a raise in 14 years. So he's not paying for that. <laughs> um, but he needs to be liked, and so he, he likes the feeling of being liked. So I'm going to show you guys this clip just to show you how awkward it is. <laughs> so it gets so much worse after that. The kids come up with a dance number, and he has to go to the school and tell all of them that I'm not paying for any of your tuition. <laughs> and they just, there's this uproar of just anger. Um, and he even, he says, well, I can't, I can't pay for your tuition. I can't even pay for, I can't even pay for laptops, but I will pay for replacement batteries for your laptops. That's right. That's good, right? Like, no, no, you promised these kids tuition, right? This is what they're hoping for. Joseph was promised that his entire family would bow to him. And he's given this little nugget in the middle of where he's sitting in prison of, hey, this is what's going to happen to these guys. I'm going to tell you that much. No, that's not, what I, that's not what he was promised, right? So he's feeling this huge level of disappointment. And, like, I don't know what I would do with that. So obviously God doesn't do that to us, right? He doesn't leave us completely disappointed. But you have to think of where Joseph's head is at right now. Is, is he ever going to deliver me from this? And that's ex exactly where we're at right now, right? In the middle of 2020, we have no sense of when this storm is going to let up. As I was preparing this this weekend, even, I was just listening to some podcasts, and they challenged the listeners that, like, what if, what if we looked at 2020 as if it wasn't a curse? What if we looked at it as it's a gift? He's sitting in jail, rotting away for two years, but God does give him this nugget. He shows him that he is present and that he cares about him, and he shows him this bit of wisdom. And we see Joseph just cling to that, that one little nugget of truth. And how much more truth do we have to sit in? How much more peace do we have? He doesn't have the hope of Christ. He doesn't have the whole Old and New Testament to lean on. But we do. We have all of the knowledge that God has given to us. We have podcasts to listen to to give us a fresh perspective on the promises that God has given us. They talked about 
kids that are having to deal with the fact that they're, some of them aren't getting to go to school. I was fortunate that we're sending kids in person. A lot of states are not. Most states are not. <laughs> so these, these young kids are having to deal with, like, opening up a book, and it, it's, mommy, it smells like school. But not being able to go to school and be with their friends because they're, they're on lockdown still. And <clears throat> the podcast that I was listening to was like, well, I think this is going to be for good. I think God is going to use this in a way that we can't even understand yet because we have a generation that parents have tried to protect their kids from anything bad that could possibly happen. And then God goes and switches the script and says, you know, this is something that everybody has to go through. And every kid is going to develop uh, a thicker skin <laughs> and some discernment and, and a feeling of, oh, it's okay that I can, I can go through something bad and come out on the other side. So what if 2020 was a gift? What if sitting in jail was a gift for him, right? Because again, Joseph doesn't know if he's going to be in there for two months, two years, or two decades, right? And neither do we. We don't know how long this season is going to last. So you can understand where he's at. But then he gets good news. So let's go to chapter 41. So it says, after two whole years, (laughs) Pharaoh has this dream. And to, to wrap it up for you, it's, it, Pharaoh has a dream that there are seven plump cows and seven skinny cows. The seven skinny cows eat the seven plump cows. Same thing with corn. So again, two, two similar dreams. It's God's stamp of approval. You have seven plump ears of corn. You have seven plump, or not, seven withered stalks of corn. And the seven withered ones eat, or eat out the uh, plump ones. So like, what do you do with this? So he takes it to all of his uh, magicians and people that you would take it to outside of God, right? Um, and nobody can figure it out. It's reminiscent of later on um, <clears throat> with Daniel, where Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even tell them what the dream is. He just expects them to know what it is and also the interpretation. Um, but <clears throat> nobody can figure it out, right? Only God can. And so it's at that point, <laughs> in verse 9, it says, uh, the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. So the cupbearer finally is like, ooh, I know a guy. <laughs> um, yeah, you're going to want to go get Joseph. Uh, he's been sitting in a jail cell for like two years. I feel really bad, but he, he's going to be able to tell you what's, what's going on. Um, so they bring Joseph up out of, out of prison and they clean him up and bring him in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks him, can you tell me this interpretation? And in classic Joseph fashion, he says, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So even in the midst of all of that, he's able to remember that God gave him that nugget of truth, and he gave, he's going to give him this nugget of truth in faith that he's going to be able to, to, um, to show him what this dream means, right? So finally, this two-year stint is over. And he says, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And he tells him, okay, this is what the dream means. It means that you will have seven years of plenty, and then you will have seven years of famine. So here's what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to store up as much grain as you possibly can so that when that famine comes, you can feed not only the kingdom of Egypt, but the surrounding areas as well that will need that food. So God gives him the interpretation, and then he gives him discernment beyond that of what to do next. 
So God shows off his sovereignty and his omniscience. And God is completely in control, and he supplies wisdom as it's needed. You go to verse 41 and 42. This is where Pharaoh just goes above and beyond, and he blesses Joseph. Finally, instead of tearing his robes off, covering them with blood, or tearing his robe as he's running out the door trying to hold to his integrity, Pharaoh clothes him. It says, verse 41, I'm on the wrong page. There you go. Verse 41 says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments and fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride his second chariot and he gives him all this blessing. He gives him an Egyptian wife. His wife bears him two Egyptian sons, Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my hardship of my father's house. And Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he gets this double blessing. After having gone through so much in this season, this storm that he had to go through, God blesses him sevenfold. Almost like Job, when Job went through so much, God decided to then flip the script and give him so much more blessing than he was ever taken from. So then, eventually, Jacob runs out of food, right? Jacob and, and his ten sons, his eleven sons, run out of food. And so he looks at his sons and he says, why do you look at one another? Go down and buy grain so we don't die. <laughs> so he looks, he looks at the, the ten sons, and it just seems like, it, it, Jacob seems bitter and resentful towards the other brothers, right? And at this point, we have Benjamin, who's the youngest son, and he's also a son of Rachel, the favorite wife of Jacob, right? So you see Benjamin getting the same privilege that, that Joseph did to the extent that when he sends them to Egypt, he says, you're not taking Benjamin. He's the, he's the last one left. Which, as a son of Jacob, you've got to be like, what about us? We're your sons. But no, he says, Benjamin is the last one left. So he sends them to Egypt. And verse 6, we see that prophecy finally fulfilled. So it says, Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So finally, all the way back in chapter 37, we get this dream, right? And now it's coming to fruition. His brothers are bowing to him. Finally, something good has happened. To Joseph. And Joseph accuses them of being spies and requires them to prove that uh, they're not lying by bringing Benjamin to Egypt. And until then, uh, he's going to keep Simeon bound in a dungeon, just like they tied him up and sold him into slavery all those years ago. So Jacob essentially says, and, and they, take, they take him, the brothers go back to Jacob. And they talk to Jacob and tell him what they're asking of him, which is to show Benjamin. If these, if these are truly who they say they are, they will bring their youngest brother. And Jacob looks at them and says, no, you're, you're not taking Benjamin. Even knowing that Simeon was in jail, right, 
He says, you're not taking Benjamin. Because he's the only one left. <laughs> so chapter 43, they finally run out of food. And, the only, and only then is Judah, the oldest, able to convince Jacob to let them take Benjamin to Egypt. So they don't all die of starvation, right? <clears throat> so they arrive with Benjamin, and Joseph welcomes them with open arms. Almost like this prodigal son moment in uh, verse 16 of chapter 43. So he says, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the, ser- or the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for them, or for the men are to dine with me at noon. So he's preparing this lunch for them, this huge party. It's a lot like what Jesus uh, brings to the table with the story of the prodigal son. And then in verse 28, we see the brothers again bowing to Joseph, finalizing that prophecy, Right? So Joseph returns Simeon to them and sends them on their way with everything they could possibly need, right? But then Joseph decides to flip the script and decides to uh, try to keep Benjamin in Egypt, right? So this is, this is my brother of, of Rachel. He's trying to keep him in, in Egypt. So he makes it look like Benjamin stole a cup from him. He puts it in his bag on the way out, and he sends one of his officials to go chase them down and say, hey, you stole this. You need to return it. So he says, I'm going to keep Benjamin here. You guys are going to have to go. He's going to be my slave. He's going to be my servant. And Judah finally speaks up, the oldest brother, and tells, jo- tells Joseph, Jacob will probably die if they come home without Benjamin. And he offers to take Benjamin's place. So up to this point, the brothers have no idea who Joseph is. Joseph knows exactly who they are. But Joseph is officially an Egyptian citizen. He doesn't look anything like he used to, so they don't recognize him whatsoever. But at this point, that's enough for Joseph. And in chapter 45, he finally breaks character and lets out his secret that he is their brother, Joseph, that they sold into slavery. Pharaoh is excited to hear that Joseph's brothers have have returned and he blesses them above and beyond what they could have possibly imagined. And he offers them the fat of the land of Egypt. So Joseph sends them to go get Jacob and the rest of their families and belongings so they can all live in Egypt together in peace, finally. And just as an extra note, I thought this was awesome. So on their way out, he also sarcastically just says, don't quarrel on the way. (laughs) Almost as to say, hey, if you could not kill Benji or put him in a pit or sell him into slavery on the way home, that'd be great. Everybody come back in one piece, okay? So God keeps true to his promise. He not only restores Joseph from the storm, he also preserves the 12 tribes of Israel. God doesn't always promise deliverance, right? But he always delivers on his promises. If he says that something's going to happen, he will make it happen. He has the power and the omniscience to do that. God is our present comfort in the midst of the storm. 
So when Joseph is sitting in the middle of that timeline in the storm, God is there with him. He gives him that nugget of truth. He gives him that comfort knowing that you are not alone in this pit. I'm here with you. And God also is our only hope of eternity through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So we have present comfort in the midst of the storm, and we have eternal hope knowing that when this storm subsides, no matter what, we have eternity with Jesus to look forward to. Well, I, I believe what's being taught to us in this story today is to not let the storm pass us by without learning something from it. This is a temporary time that God has placed us all in. It gives us all something that we can relate to each other on. And it gives us all a way that we can pursue God's wisdom and discernment in a way that we never have been able to before and we never probably will after this season is done. So as much as we want to look at 2020 as just this horrible time and say, man, I wish I could just go out in a coma and wake up when it's done, how much would we miss out on? What does God want to teach us in this season? We need to keep pursuing him, keep pursuing his wisdom, keep pouring into the word. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. Um, Guys, we may not know if this season is going to turn in two months, two years, two decades, but we know that we have eternal hope and present comfort through Jesus, regardless of circumstances and storms. We know that we have a God who created everything. A God who sent his son, his one and only son, to die in place of us so that we can have a relationship with him. Joseph put his hope in God, but he didn't, he didn't even know what was coming. He didn't know that Jesus would do what he did. We know that. We have the full picture. And so we do have hope in Christ. We do have hope in knowing that God is in control and that he has sent his son for us and we have eternal hope. Just keep that in mind in our current storm and don't let it pass you by. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity of what we have been given right now in this season. Help us to not take it for granted. Help us to see it for what it is, that it is a rough time to be alive but also that you never left our side, that you are good to us, that you have never abandoned us, and that you are present with us no matter what the circumstances. Help make that so blatantly clear to us that we can't see anything but your good.